0: We do have our, our cast and crew of usuals today. We got Albert Breer coming up at 520. Uh, in addition, Bill Ryder's going to join us in about 37 minutes. We're going to talk about uh, where the Cavs are. Obviously, he is uh, on CBS Sports uh, as a CBS Sports insider. He's also got Writer Than You on the network. All that. Uh, Brian Billick at 420 as well. But today, we start with something that I had asked Ross Tucker yesterday. And I had asked because I actually think I saw Baskin and Phelps' Facebook post of their interview with Terry Pluto. And I didn't, it was one of those things where I saw it at like the last second yesterday. It just kind of popped up. Their headline popped up into my brain while I was talking to Ross. And it's about the backup quarterback spot because I think, There is what was, which was the importance of signing Joe Flacco at the absolute perfect moment. And other teams of the NFL who had to go to their backups, like Cincinnati or Minnesota, who had a hot hand for a minute and then saw their backups peter out after two games. And so I think we saw the big-picture impact of a good backup this year. And then I think you mix in our affinity for Joe Flacco – um, you mix in what a what a fun run this was. How it was so stressful because of Deshaun's health. It was so stressful until you got to Joe, and then for some, it, just because Joe uncomplicated. I don't even know that's a word. Uncomplicated the backup quarterback spot and led you to a playoff spot. Kept you in the playoffs, as a matter of fact. I think we've we've just completely re-envisioned the importance of the backup quarterback spot. And so yesterday, we we're talking with Ross Tucker, who joins us every single Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Uh, always fun, always a lot of uh, interesting things, always has opinions. And and we talked about the importance of the the backup to the Browns going forward in 2024.
1: I want to know who their backup quarterback is this upcoming year. I think they are smart enough, and Andrew Barry is, to get a competent backup quarterback. And if they have that, I will say they are well positioned. I think backup quarterback on that team is more important than backup quarterback in a lot of other cities because of what's happened with Watts in the last couple years and, in particular, his shoulder this year. I think you need, like, a Jacoby Brissett or a Joe Flacco as a backup. This cannot be like a PJ Walker DTR situation. So
0: I think there is some validity to making sure you have somebody that is at least proven to be a starting, not to be a starting quarterback, but to be a NFL caliber backup on your roster. And I do think that's important because the, you know, Deshaun's shoulder because of just uncertainty. And I just, You're two years in, you haven't seen it in brown and orange, and I think that's really, really important to just acknowledge. And I think the Browns will. Like, you're going to see them acknowledge. They just might not acknowledge it in the way you want them to. I think that's the kind of offseason or when you want them to, which is another part of this. But I think it's interesting. Like, uh, are they saying the same thing in Cincinnati? I mean, I know Joe Burrow didn't hurt his shoulder here, but yet again, for now two straight seasons, he's had season-ending injuries And uh, and he's had more than just season-ending injuries. He's had other injuries that have massively impacted, like the the foot injury going into this year. So he's had three or four significant injuries. Now that is on Cincinnati, not because they don't have a good backup, but because, quite frankly, they've done a a poor job. I had to make sure what I was going to say there, a poor job of building an offensive line in front of him. That is the cardinal sin of NFL teams. And it's not that they don't want to. It's just they're not good at it. Like, uh, I trust Andrew Barry a lot to to find me some offensive linemen. I think after this year, look at what he did in the secondary. Look at what he's done. uh, and, And not just that, across his time here in the secondary. And then look what he did in the defensive line this year. But when it comes to, like, wide receivers, the jury's out. It is, because look at all the draft picks the Browns, and, and specifically Andrew Barry, has spent on wide receivers and find me the guy you trust. And I'm not talking about swapping a fifth and sixth-round pick to Dallas for Amari Cooper, which, although it wasn't something every team was willing to do, every team doesn't have Jimmy Haslam's pocketbook at their disposal. That's not meant to be. That's a, For instance, by the way, Cincinnati has not done what they should at offensive line. You know where else they haven't? This year specifically, the backup quarterback spot. And it wasn't, you need to get, um, I don't know, a former starting quarterback. You need to get a guy that's played, you know, you need to find, you need to bring Matt Ryan to come in and be his backup to Joe Burrow. You just need to do better than Jake Browning, who had zero experience in meaningful games. They didn't. They had a bad offensive line and a bad backup, and they weren't in the playoffs this year. So I can see some of what Ross is saying. But to that Baskin and Phelps headline, Terry Pluto was on uh, Baskin and Phelps yesterday and talked about the importance of backups in a way that I, I understand why he's saying what he's saying. But I cannot agree to the degree he's talking about the importance of the backup spot.
1: They want some of those young guys to step in and play. You can't, you know, this is the old, you can't play it, pay everybody. And they can keep renegotiating these contracts. But eventually, you know, you, you have to be careful what you do. And I made a strong case that it had nothing to do with the defensive line other than I don't think I want to spend any more money there because I want to spend money on a backup quarterback. I mean, you have to turn around whether it's you bringing Joe back or Jacoby Brissett or I mentioned Gardner Minshew. I want a guy like that. And that guy's going to cost money. And they need to spend that because when you have, whether it's a pitcher or a quarterback with a shoulder injury, it is a concern more so than with an elbow injury. And that's kind of the, the deal in my mind because had Flacco, they not brought Flacco in, we're having a lot different conversation right now because they're not 11 and 6, and, you know, they would have been lucky to be 8 and 9. Then, you know, you know, are other are, are people getting fired, all this kind of stuff? But if you have, maybe, say, Brissett or Minshew wouldn't play quite as well as Flacco, but they would have played well enough to win several of those games down the stretch for them.
0: Is backup quarterback really that important to you for the Cleveland Browns? I mean, I I do think it's important. I don't think you can say, like, if they bring back P.J. Walker and DTR next year, and I'd be shocked if P.J. was here. Like, they, they brought a guy off the street in Jeff Driscoll to start week 18, to see if he could supplant P.J. Walker as the backup. The guy played like Kaka and then supplanted P.J. Walker as the backup for the playoffs. So I think it's apparent, PJ. but even DTR, it would be irresponsible for the Browns to just bring back DTR and then have a guy that is like an undrafted free agent or have a guy that is another P- iteration of P.J. Walker or Jeff Driscoll. It would be irresponsible, but there's a huge gap between that guy and bringing Gardner Minshew, who, even though it's laughable, just made the playoffs. Sorry, just made the the Pro Bowl. So what really stood out to me is that Terry said, yeah, I don't want to spend any more money on the defensive line. I'd rather spend it on a backup quarterback. I, I can't get there. I mean... $4 $4 million for Joe Flacco was some of the best-spent money you've you've spent the last couple of years. But Joe Flacco was on a couch in November. Um, Carson Wentz, another guy who I would say is a better quarterback than P.J. Walker or DTR. Carson Wentz was on the bench. Uh, was, sorry, was sitting out there for anybody to sign after the trade deadline. So the problem is not that there aren't good backups out there. And, I mean, every year, Marcus Mariota gets a job as a backup. Right? Geno Smith was one of those guys for a really long time. A while he didn't work out as a starter. But he's going to come be our backup, in not just in New York, but in with the Chargers and then, obviously, in Seattle. Um, guys like Drew Locke are going to be available every single year. Those guys don't cost what a guy who probably is a starter-caliber caliber player is going to cost. And that's what Gardner rinchu is. That might be, I mean, listen, guys, Jacoby Brissett made eight million dollars last year. You could have afforded that. Anybody better than that is gonna cost you fifteen million dollars, and that's not worth it to the Browns. And specific to the the idea of um well, I'd I'd rather spend money on the the quarterback spot, backup quarterback spot than the, the defensive line. Are we just assuming Deshaun isn't going to play next year? Are we just assuming that Deshaun is going to miss more time? Because I understand the idea of, I don't say living in your fears, but having the fear of Deshaun's health. But that, like, hey, I'm going to plan for a raining day while my car is missing a tire. Like, okay, yeah, you can do both, by the way. But, like, no, you need to keep your car running so you can go to work to get the money to have the house that maybe one day might need a roof. Like, I I don't under, like, a starter, there is no backup position in the NFL, even quarterback, that is worth skimping on what I think is the second or third, depending on how you want to look at it, most important spot to success in the NFL. The Browns need, whether it's Zadarius Smith or somebody else, the Browns need somebody of a a considerable caliber across from Miles Garrett. That will help him from wearing down. When miles, when when teams can't just double, triple, chip, whatever on miles, every single play, how do you do that? Well, you get somebody that's a quality starting defensive end across from him. Well, how do you do that? You maybe get yourself a veteran that can can help with a pass rush up the middle. So I like Siakiaki. I like Elijah McGuire. I like Obo Okoronkwo. I like a lot of their depth pieces. I think Mo Hurst maybe could grow into more of something as a guy who's reclaimed his career here. But I'm not skimping on the defensive line or saying, ah, we don't need to spend there. We got to go get a backup quarterback. That, to me, is a huge overreaction to the last two years. I understand why we do it. But backup quarterback is not that important. And by the way, it's important, but you can find backup quarterbacks at any point. It's just whether you're willing to pay a guy four million dollars, five million dollars, six million dollars, and whether you think he fits what you need. We're having a conversation about the backup quarterback spot. And Terry Pluto was on the midday show yesterday and said he thinks it's you know, he thinks that's more important than putting resources this offseason into the into the defensive line spot. And I just I completely disagree. I think I think this would be a great offseason because they just continue to piecemeal. That uh, opposing starting defensive line spot, right? It was two one-year deals for Jadavian Clowney. It's been a one-year deal for zadaria Smith after the trade from Minnesota, and like you can do that, but every year that you have to do that, I mean, there's just so much stress to find a guy that is that is worthy of starting across from Miles, and like the last two years, they it's not been enough. Jadavian Clowney was a clown. Apparently in the locker room, and just like I'll be honest with you, he was a much better player, much more focused and engaged player this year in Baltimore than he was two years ago in Joe Woods' defense here in Cleveland. Now, his first year was—I mean, he was as good as as they've had around Miles, better than Ogba. I mean, I Olivia Vernon's probably in the same category, but like dominant in the run game, and got enough pressure that it opened up Miles. And I don't think it's a a coincidence that one of Miles' best Decembers came playing across from Jadavion Clowney. But, like, you're going to hit a wall at some point if every year you're looking for that guy to play across Miles. And it's it's probably going to be this way for most of Miles' career, but... There, there are guys in the open market or the guys that could be available this offseason that could give you a two- or three-year run across from Miles or next to uh, Dalvin Tomlinson trying to fill, you know, last year it was three major starting spots on your defensive line in, in free agency and via the trade market and in the draft. That's a lot. And the Browns have drafted – a lot of these nice young players. But the goal is not just to get four deep where you've got four legitimate starters. The goal is to get eight to 10 deep. If you want to be where Philly was two years ago, you have to have 10 guys. I mean, Philly had so many guys that they brought in in that offseason, including Hassan Raddick, and then during the season, including Linval Joseph and Ndamukong Su. They had so many guys they brought in that there were guys that had been there for a decade, like uh, not Vinny Curry, like Brandon Graham, who were like getting 20% of the snaps and excelling because they were playing in such a limited small role. That's the goal for the Browns. And I don't think you're there. I think this offseason, I think you need at least one more starter and at least one more significant rotational piece on the defensive line. That to me is so much more, because here's the thing. That matters whether Deshaun does or doesn't play. If Deshaun plays and you can have another top 10, top five defensive line, guys, you're going to have a chance to go to a Super Bowl. Or you're going to have a chance to go on a deep playoff run and you, you probably won't get bounced out embarrassingly in the first round. So if my options are, I'll have the best backup quarterback in the NFL or one of the best defensive lines, I'll take a average backup and that was the problem the problem with the browns was not that 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 they just had like an average backup no they didn't have a proven backup pj walker was caca in carolina i I remember a certain afternoon drive host who may or may not weigh over 300 pounds telling everybody that he was caca and nobody Wow, well, but he hasn't played in this offense And they played in that offense and he got lucky to go two and one with him But even DTR, like DTR had no business as a fifth-round rookie playing this year. Once they played him, I wanted to see him keep getting reps and see if you could develop him into that backup for next year. But they, and probably rightly, chose, well, we got a veteran here. We got to see if we can win this year. So, like, going into next year, yeah, DTR has some experience. He should be your third quarterback. And you should find the kind of guy that Gardner Minshew, guys, Gardner Minshew, and that was one of the names Terry mentioned, uh, Gardner Minshew was uh, was a starter in Jacksonville, then got traded for a fourth or fifth round pick because he had two or three years of control in Philly. And then he was signed as a free agent for a nominal fee in Indy. It's not hard to find the next Gardner Minshew. It's not hard to find Joe Flacco in the middle of the season. And I, I think that actually is, and this is, this is where it, I, I kind of diverge from talking about what Terry was talking about, what Ross Tucker was talking about. I think that there is a fair amount of people in town, and you can, if you disagree with me, two one six four seven four double o nine two. I think backups important. I think it's on the fourth rung. I think it's, I think it's the fourth or fifth most important thing for the Browns this off season. The defensive line is the most important to me. Finding another wide receiver that's probably somewhere in there. You you need a middle linebacker. Then uh, then it starts. You know, do you do you find a third Stephy? Do you bring back uh, Roddy McLeod? Like. Then we talk about backup quarterback. But I think what I realized in hearing people talk about the backup spot, some of this is Deshaun Agita. Some of this is just don't like Deshaun. Some of this is um, what we saw this year, both with Joe Flacco and with P.J. Walker and with DTR. Um, I think there's a healthy amount of people who their opinion of the Browns offseason – is tied to whether or not the Browns bring back Joe Flacco. And as crucial as Joe was this year, if that is what you if if you're basing fifty percent of the offseason on yes or no, did they re sign Joe Flacco? I think you're over of I think you're overvaluing Joe Flacco. And I think even the way we've talked about it, I think we've conflated our love of what a good dude Joe Flacco was and the peace of mind that he brought us by coming here and being the adult in the room and doing everything the right way. And, guys, those things do matter. I'm not here to tell you that those don't have a value to them, but that's different than his value on the field. And if we're not going to have – listen – I'm okay if you want to have a, 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 um, a proper context around Joe's interceptions this year. Daryl, and in, in Daryl specifically, has talked about how some of the young receivers, you know, when you have on schedule throws, if your receivers aren't where they're supposed to be, those, those passes are going to get picked off. That is a valid um, part of the context about Joe's interceptions. But you also saw, like, that's not the case in the second half against Houston in the playoffs. Joe had a bad game. Joe started pressing. To think that that Joe Flacco won't show his face again, guys, the guy is a turnover machine. And fortunately, he still has a hell of an arm. And he's a hell of a guy. And he knew the offense. And he learned the offense. All this stuff is fair. But we've got to stop treating Joe Flacco like he's the salvation for the Cleveland Browns. He is a 39-year-old backup who has his limitations, who did a phenomenal job as as up against expectations but up against other NFL quarterbacks he was pretty good he was good he had a four percent interception percentage which gets any other quarterback in the NFL even a backup benched at some point across 18 18 weeks so yeah he had a six percent touchdown percentage then that was phenomenal And the most impressive thing that Joe did, in my opinion, Joe went out there, guys, and he got wide receivers engaged, including Amari, including David Ajoku. We saw something out of David Bell at the end of the season we haven't seen. It wasn't like setting the world on fire, but it was just third wide receiver production. I'll take that out of a guy who, to this point, hadn't really been able to give you anything. So... This is less – I think the I, – I thought the farther we got away from Joe, maybe some of that emotion would wear off. Maybe some of that – um, some of those brown and orange-colored goggles we're wearing with Joe. Maybe would just – and we just put him in the proper perspective. And I think the opposite has happened. I think we've turned this man into the savior of the Cleveland Browns. I think there's a – I think there's now a healthier chance of him returning next year than when he was playing his absolute best football and with the threat of playing that kind of football in the playoffs. I think if Joe had gone out and thrown for 400 yards against the Texans and you went to the next round of the playoffs, and even if the Browns lost to the Ravens, Joe had had another good game. Guys, I think Joe would have been somewhere else. I think Joe would have gotten a big, big payday. I don't know that's as likely to happen now. Now it's dependent on how do the Browns value him and are there any spots in the NFL where he's got an existing relationship that he can go to and maybe make that last bit of coin.
2: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
0: But I don't even know. Like, I I think I think the longer Joe remains on the free agent market, I think the better chance that Joe comes back next year. I don't think I mean I I think that is the I, I you know, not to continue to go back to that Terry Pluto thing. I think backup quarterbacks, like the last thing you do in the offseason, unless there's a no-duh value out there, like getting Gardner Minshew for a six-round pick where you've got your backup settled for the next three years. More than likely, I think you're going to run down the clock and see who's there, and then I I think it could even go into the the preseason because Joe doesn't really need another training camp, but Joe did... One of the coolest things I've ever seen as a Browns fan. Joe was so much more than I thought he was going to be, given everything we talked about with the context of him coming in for the Browns. He blew me away. Joe is probably not going to save you two years in a row. Most backups aren't going to save you for two years in a row. And the way that you put a backup in that position, one, you pick the right one. I think you kind of lucked into the right one this year. I do. And I don't mean that in a bad way. But, like, you found a guy who could do what Joe did and who you could win with after the trade deadline when, you know, several other backups had either been traded or teams felt they were too valuable to move on from. But how you win with a backup quarterback, take the name off it. One, you pick the right one—the guy that fits your system, the guy that that values the thing or has the things that you value in a quarterback. I trust Kevin Stefanski to do that. He seems like he's pretty darn good at that. And I expect the Browns to to not repeat the mistake of this last year, where they went into this season saying, "Ah, backup quarterback doesn't matter. We're, we're going to go with DTR and PJ Walker, and we're gonna we're gonna move forward with Deshaun." I don't think they're doing that. But do you know how you win with a backup? It's actually. Pretty simple. You go ahead and build the best possible team that it's the same way you win the starting quarterback. You have a great defensive line, you have a great offensive line, you have enough weapons around him that it's not all about him, and you have as good of defense as you possibly can. I think once you get to backup, be it Joe Flack or anybody else, once you get to that level, it it matters more than anything. The roster you have around your quarterback and then if Deshaun starts guys you just gave Deshaun the best possible roster that he had we of course have spent the the start of the day talking about the Browns but uh Cavs with a shaky victory over the Pistons last night had you shook shouldn't have, shouldn't have laid those 12 and a half points last night I should not have but I did take the over I got that but to talk about the state of the Cavaliers it also the, uh, as, as LeBron turn moments of the, uh, the regular season here, we welcome on, on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline, CBS sports, NBA insider and writer than you host on CBS sports radio, 10 a.m. to noon. The great Bill Ryder joins us. What's up, bud?
3: Nick Wilson is always tricky when, 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 when it's the 12 points, man, I I've been there many times where I'm just, I'm drinking my beer and I'm cursing myself. What's up, pal?
0: You know, what's ridiculous about that is I am the guy who doesn't do that. But I have I have taken the points against like the Celtics so many times that yeah. and it's and it's just kicked my ass that I, I'm I, I made it a thing in this year. I'm like, I'm gonna start having more guts when it comes to 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 laying double digit spreads if I for the favorite, and then this is the first time I do it and it kicks me square between the legs. <laughs> hashtag gambling, hashtag how they build Vegas. Yeah, and also <laughs> how I lose the house. Um <laughs> So the Cavs are on this hot streak here. Uh, last night's shaky performance, it was a win, but notwithstanding. Uh, are people around the NBA viewing the Cavs' recent surge as a sign they are a legit team in the East again?
3: I don't think as much as they should be. I just had this conversation, actually, with a, with a, a GM-ish person, a little lower level than a GM person. I think that there are four teams, if you want to include the Heat, which I would, in the second tier of the Eastern Conference, who are really interesting and our landmines, are, for lack of a better term, Nick, the big three out east in Boston, Milwaukee, and, and the Sixers. And I would probably put the Cavs at the top of that list right now. But I think there were a lot of folks who, who bought in last year, and obviously the playoffs didn't go the way that some of us that thought maybe Cleveland had a bunch of ceiling thought that it would. But I buy it, and I think they're potentially dangerous. And I think the way that they played without Mobley and without Garland in particular, and what it does look like and now will look like, with one and then both of those guys back is really interesting. I think they're deep. They obviously play great defense. I think they're going to be better offensively than they've been. So, yes, I I do. There are people who want to believe, but I think there's some hesitation. I think some of it surrounds Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs, but not the level of belief he would have had a year ago.
0: So this led us to a conversation. This this very similar question led us, in conversation, led us to another one about the Cavs' core four, which obviously are Donovan, Darius, Darius, uh, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. Which one of yeah. the Cavs' core four is most important to the Cavs, maybe avoiding last year's early gentleman sweep embarrassment to the Knicks?
3: So it's, it's Donovan, and I'm a Donovan Mitchell fan, and this is going to sound like a put-down. It's just the reality, but it is really hard to become a star in the NBA and even harder to be a superstar in the playoffs and to shake that, that mantle if you're that good, and he is that good that you have not done what you're supposed to do when you get to the playoffs. I think that that is a guy who can win you a couple games in a seven-game series that maybe you shouldn't win, which means can win you a series if you have the other pieces, which you do in Cleveland, that maybe you're not expected to win. And he has not been that guy. He wasn't for Utah. He hasn't been there in Cleveland. He's not the only one in the NBA. There's obviously better players, Embiid, who have to shake that label. But I think what he does, his ceiling, his floor in playoff basketball – will dictate what Cleveland does or doesn't do in the postseason.
0: From the players to the coach, is it playoff series win or bust for J.B. Bickerstaff, and should it be?
3: I think it should be. I mean, look, I, I think that Kobe Altman, the GM, has put together a pretty impressive group of players post-LeBron James. And I know it's been a minute, but still, like, it's pretty easy to swing and miss in the draft. It's pretty easy to be in a market like Cleveland, my wife from Wyoming, I'm from Dubuque, Iowa, not an insult, but a smaller market, and have trouble building the winner because you don't have a margin for error. You are not going to replenish those teams normally by getting guys to come. It's not L.A. It's not, I think, what New York is now becoming and, and, and will be. I think that they're good enough to, to, to do that. Now, I'll say this to you, Nick. I think the East is the toughest it's been in a really long time, and I think there are going to be great basketball teams, multiple great basketball teams who lose in the first round. So if Cleveland's not one of those teams, it's going to be teams like Miami or the Knicks. I think the Pacers are probably going to be really good when Halliburton and Siakam actually get a bunch of time together. So that is easier said than done. But yes, to answer your question, if I'm, if I'm in Cleveland, if I'm the GM, if I'm a fan, if I'm the owner, you have to win a playoff series. And I would love to see maybe at a minimum pushing in a second-round playoff series. I, I think they can be that good.
0: Considering the pressure of Donovan's future, which is only going to amplify this summer, Um, I would assume uh, winning a playoff series or two playoff series would have a huge impact on just that pressure and that conversation. Uh, Do the Cavs need to make a deal one week from now at the NBA trade deadline?
3: I mean, look, I'm not going to dodge your question. It's always good to add. The problem is that right now the market is extremely, extremely expensive. Right, like what? Just this is an example. What Atlanta wants for Dejounte Murray is too much. What the Bulls, who who can't do anything this year, want. For a guy even DeMar Rosen, it, it, it is too much. People look at the Rudy Gobert trade from what a couple seasons ago, and it might have been ridiculous, but it drove it drove the price up. It it just it just did. It's the way that Kirk Cousins getting a bunch of guaranteed money five years ago changed quarterback day. So, I yeah, in a perfect world, yes, but I'm not sure if I'm Cleveland. I want to give away what it costs to get help. And I, if the goal is to be competitive and to win a postseason, I think Cleveland is is good enough. If the goal is to, what, make a conference final? I don't think Cleveland is likely to do that, and if they are, I think it's because the guys they have are able to gel and get some momentum and get a good draw. So I wouldn't be as aggressive if I was the Cleveland Cavaliers as I would be if, say, I was the Golden State Warriors or the Lakers because I think, as constructed, there's a ceiling there this season that's pretty interesting.
0: Bill Ryder, CBS Sports NBA Insider on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. That brings us to... Uh, a former cavalier and always cavalier really in some of our hearts and minds lebron james are we are we simply in the cycle of lebron that he's just he's just being moody cuz he's trying to put pressure on the organization or <laughs> yes, is this for right. real is this is this really like lebron and the lakers are really coming to a conclusion of their time together mm-hmm.
3: No, you nailed it. Look, I like LeBron. I mean, if it wasn't for LeBron, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be working at whatever Walmart or something, which is no no disrespect to Walmart. I just like this job better than when I had that job. Yeah, this is what LeBron does, man, right? You know. I mean, the Lakers are in a tough spot. They can wait till the end of the year. They can have three first-round draft picks they can trade. And if they want to move Austin Reeves, which they don't, but they need to if they're going to get somebody. If they're going to do that, you do it in the summer, and you get a star or a, a really good piece in return but that doesn't help LeBron James in his diminishing window. So he's doing what you're suggesting. He's putting pressure on this team. He's putting pressure on Polinka. There is disagreement and frustration and consternation and worry within the Lakers because they know they're not good enough and they know LeBron's bad, but they're sort of asking themselves and we'll see which way this goes. Are we really going to trade away Austin Reeves and our first round pick that we can move right now to try to get a flawed team, a player to make LeBron happy when we're still going to be flawed? Yes. This is LeBron trying to exert pressure. And I think it's a mistake. And I think unlike when he was in Cleveland, And he's amazing, but he's no longer so amazing that he can take the hobbled roster that he forced and take them to a championship.
0: Hypothetically, and I don't think they will because even if they're not winning, the value of LeBron in L.A. is significant just in terms of a draw. And that's almost secondary to actually winning, just getting people in your building. I'm curious if tomorrow they said uh, LeBron's available, we just can't build a winner around him. What is LeBron James's trade value at thirty-nine years old?
3: I think there is. It's a great question. No, I'll ask you a question this time. Also, I think it, it's a great. I think there's a lot of value because I keep asking myself, and this is bad for Bronny, but if I'm a team like the Thunder or the Grizzlies come to mind who have a draft pick in the summer and I could just trade, you know, draft at the seventh or ninth or eleventh pick a kid that's never going to play in the NBA if you draft him this summer and LeBron came with him, I think LeBron is like six man of the year. or or maybe a guy that plays like the Spurs used to back in their last championship. He plays 25 minutes a game during the regular season and plays 55 games, but then he plays a bunch of minutes in the postseason. I think there's a huge huge amount of value there if it goes into a contending team. And he wouldn't go to Miami, but if he goes to Miami, if he goes to Cleveland, if he goes to the Knicks, Memphis is banged up. But before John Moran, all the injuries, if he went to the Thunder, yeah, I think there's a huge – not if he's the number one – but if he's, like, going to a team that's a second-tier team but wants to make a push, I think there's a lot of value in LeBron. Let me ask, would you want the Cavs to draft Bronny in the summer if it meant LeBron would come back for a year at 39, 40, 41?
0: Oh, that's an oh, hell yeah. That's not even yeah, a, like, right? a, a, a for me. Yeah,
3: yeah, immediately. Now, I'm not trading for him if I'm whatever, some team that doesn't, if I'm basically the Lakers, if you add LeBron to the Lakers, I mean, the, the Atlanta will be sellers. But the Atlanta, he's not making the Atlanta Hawks competitive all of a sudden. But he might push a team on the edge like the Cavs to a different stratosphere when you get to the playoffs.
0: Does Doc Rivers have the greatest agent in the history of agents?
3: Yeah, or photos, or just, or like, I haven't seen the Ben Affleck movie where, where like, somebody's a hypnotist, but something like that. I don't, look, not a Doc Rivers fan. You and I have talked about this. I don't understand how on earth this guy got this particular job. And I feel really, it's great for Cleveland fans. I think it's really bad for Milwaukee fans. I don't know how he does it.
0: I think if he had not won a championship in Boston, this might be a hot one. I've not thought this one out. If he had won a championship in Portland instead of Boston, I don't think he gets as many coaching jobs as as he has.
3: A hundred percent. I mean, I don't – there are a lot of guys who have won championships or some guys who don't get jobs anymore and probably shouldn't. He is the most – he is considered, not by everyone, but by a lot of people around the NBA – as one of the most overrated coaches in the history of the sport. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong for saying it and agreeing with it, but he he is not universally beloved and respected just for his coaching the way that some other former championship coaches are.
0: Bill, great stuff, buddy. Appreciate you. Keep killing it, man. Thanks, brother. Bill Ryder on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline.
2: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears?